start tonight with a little hypothetical, okay? What would you think about a proper English gentleman? Picture a proper English gentleman, if you would. And the proper English gentleman then decided that he would shave his head except for a long ponytail that would come out of the back of his head and he would begin to wear sandals and silk robes to um, sort of blend in and look like everyone else around him. What would you think about that? Be kind of weird? Well, in China they do. And this was in the 1800s in China, this gentleman adapted his dress to fit those around him. And it seems kind of funny at first when you think about it, really, because obviously, as a proper English gentleman, he's not Chinese, is he? He's white. In fact, he's not even just Caucasian white, he's British white. And I don't know if you've been around very many British people, but they're really white. (laughs) If you understood the motivation behind uh, his actions, it might make a little more sense to you, and so I'll share with you that This gentleman is named Hudson Taylor, and in the 1800s, Taylor was a British missionary who felt called to share his faith and his life in Christ uh, in China. And so uh, as he uh, proceeded to do that, he did something very different than other missionaries had done up until that time. The, The kind of normal approach was really to impose the culture that one came from such as England, onto the culture of those that you were going to share your faith with. But other than doing that, Taylor decided that he would adopt the culture of the people that he was ministering to and um, not impose his culture on them, but, but really be, be sensitive, not only sensitive, but, but I think very respectful of their culture. And in doing so, uh, he, was, he was very successful at his mission. He spent uh, 50 years in China and at the end of that time had started a mission organization that had led some uh, 18,000 Chinese people to Christ. Billy Graham is somebody who is uh, very respected in America. One of the most respected people. Every year, I don't know who does it, some magazine does lists of the most admired, most respected people. And Billy Graham is always on those lists. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, I think most people really do uh, look at Billy Graham. They admire and respect who he is, what he stands for, his character, how he's lived his life, all of those sorts of things. But you know that that wasn't always the case. Early in Graham's ministry, he received a lot of criticism from other Christians. And the... Oh... Thank you, sir. I say. The, uh, the criticism that Billy Graham received was that, uh, for, like Hudson Taylor, doing things that were a little bit unorthodox in his approach to ministry. Now, Hudson Taylor was trying to reach, uh, you know, 19th century Chinese people. Billy Graham was trying to reach mid-20th century North American young people, but he did a very similar thing, and the, the, the reason that many Christian people of the day criticized Billy Graham was because he would wear loud ties and flashy suits, and he would open his meetings 
with music rather than from an organ or a choir, but with a swing band that had saxophones and trombones, and they even had uh, three female singers in poodle skirts. And so people didn't like that, and they said that, they said that Billy Graham was too worldly, and there were several youth camps that would actually not allow him to minister there. They banned Billy Graham, so you can't come in because you're too worldly. We're going to continue tonight talking about vineyard values. And uh, the value that we want to look at tonight is culturally relevant mission. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about mission, missions, missional. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you might. Um, Very good. I think most of us have an understanding that we really are to be a missional people. That, that, that what we are called to do is, is not simply um, live a good life. It's not simply just to believe in Jesus and to hold fast to that faith, uh, but it really is to be missional. It really is to, to be His ambassadors in the world around us. It really is to share who Jesus is. It really is to spread the good news like I talked to the kids about a, a little while ago. So while we have that part down, what does it mean? What might it look like? How, how would we approach that, that mission in a culturally relevant way? What would that mean to you and I? How would that take shape in our world today? I think to some people it's threatening. Some people think of um, being culturally relevant. They, anytime you begin to talk about culture, adapting to culture, uh, ministering in a culturally relevant fashion, anything like that, there's a threat And almost immediately, uh, that will be equated with watering down the message. This is a, I I really enjoy this. This is an actual ad uh, for a church in another city, in another state. um, That is is, uh, for, you know, purpose of attracting people to come to their church. It says, do you want gospel rock music and short sermons filled with humor? Are you looking for a church that has low enough standards so that your teens will want to attend? Do you desire a church that focuses on emotional issues instead of biblical theology? Are you looking for such a place? Sorry to disappoint you. When you get tired of worldly churches, come and see us. And, uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, there's that thought. There's that idea that if we adopt to culture and do things like Hudson Taylor did, like Billy Graham did, and well, in some ways, maybe like we did tonight. Was that gospel rock music? I, I don't know. Do you, do you call it that? You probably don't call it that, do you? <laughs> you do? Okay. You can call it that if you want. Um, I look at it a little differently. I, I, uh, I really appreciate this comment. This is from David Workman, who is the pastor of the Vineyard in Cincinnati, Ohio. Dave says, The driving force for missional relevance is simply love. Jesus wrapped himself in flesh out of compassion for us. A Jewish baby born on the wrong side of the tracks in a feeding trough for barn animals is a radical act of relevance. God, in order to rescue us, became one of us. In our context, relevance is rooted in love and a simple willingness to sacrifice whatever it takes to show God's love to others. To incarnate Jesus in someone else's world. The great commandment to love God with all that is in us is quickly followed with this one. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
So as is the case in, I suppose, just about everything in life, Jesus is the very best example we have. When we think of culturally relevant, there's no greater illustration of that than God becoming man, coming to earth, taking the shape, the form, the life of a human being so that he could identify with those people that he so deeply, deeply longed to reach. And we read that throughout Scripture. There are many, many passages that talk about Jesus becoming man, one of those is in Philippians, when it says, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus really, in uh, his life, became relevant to those that he wanted to minister to. So uh, it's first of the month. Kids are in. We had a lot of fun tonight. But I want to take just a few minutes and maybe share with you a a couple ideas of ways in which uh, we might be able to consider being culturally culturally relevant to the world that we live in and those that we encounter day by day. And I want to do that by looking at one of the very first missionaries in Scripture, the Apostle Paul. Most of us know that throughout the book of Acts, Paul spent a considerable amount of time traveling to different locations and and, uh, ministering to people. One of my favorite passages is in Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes to Athens. And uh, while he's there, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So that's the uh, Parthenon there in the center that was the center of Athens, and then below are some idols that might be like those that Paul saw there when he was uh, there at that time. Paul was actually, it says, waiting for them. He was traveling with his friends Timothy and Silas at the time. They had become separated. They'd actually been kind of kicked out of another city, and circumstances had caused them to have to go different directions. They had made arrangements to rendezvous back in Athens, and so Paul arrived before his friends did. So he was there waiting for them to come, and while he was waiting for them... He, he took some time just to uh, walk around and to familiarize himself with the city. The city of Athens was the capital city of Greece at the time. It was a cultural center filled with, uh, you know, kind of a, it's a, a, an art, art uh, culture, literature, um, architecture, all of those sorts of things that, that we would find in a, in a metropolitan, big city sort of place. I, I think of it and... and Portland probably isn't as big a city maybe as New York or L.A. or Chicago, but the museums and the different culture that takes place, I kind of picture it something like that. And as is the case in cities like that, there's a lot of diversity. And there is ethnic diversity and there's cultural diversity. But any of you who have spent any time in and around the city know that there's also spiritual diversity, isn't there? There, there, there are people of different spiritual beliefs and different spiritual backgrounds as well as culturally and ethnic backgrounds. Paul uh, sees this and the evidence of it was these idols that he saw around town and he says that it was distressing to him. Now ancient Greece was a place again where it was something of a cultural center. 
There was all this diversity. Different people had uh, kind of come together in this one place. And, and there really were. There were idols for everything. They were, they were sort of new age before it was cool. Um, they had earth gods and sky gods and sea gods and animal gods and gods of this and gods of that. So there was all these, these idols uh, around the city. And, and uh, Paul was distressed to see that. Now, it was, in, in his case, at this time, obvious, those idols were visible. They looked like little statues that were in various places around the city. But it's not always that way with idols today, is it? Sometimes idols can be uh, more subtle than that. They can be kind of hidden. They, they can be sort of beneath the surface. There can be those things that people esteem and hold up and worship in life around us, and, and they may not have a statue of that thing in their home, but they worship it nonetheless. And we're, we're familiar with sort of that idea. And what I want to say is this. I think that it's important for us to, to look a little deeper into the culture that we're surrounded by, to explore a little, to get to know the culture that we're in. Uh, in truth, I think that any missionary would be trained to do that. Before you're sent out to go to a different part of the world, you want to spend some time learning about that place, those people, what it's like there. To not do so would really to be to leave yourself at a disadvantage. So I think we should do the same thing uh, in the culture that we live in as missionaries every day. We need to familiarize ourselves with the culture around us. And I would say that culturally relevant mission begins with cultural awareness. Take time to get to know the people that we're surrounded by, the place that we live in, the, uh, the life and the things that are important to those people in that life around us. Be observant, ask questions, learn. Um, Paul did those very things. It says in verse 23, I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. Have you ever just walked around the city and spent time praying and thinking and looking and asking questions? To, uh, to be culturally relevant is to know the culture that you live in. We live in a unique culture, don't we? It's, it's just... Has anybody watched Portlandia? Anybody? Come on. You, you should. I was going to show a little clip tonight, but it was too, too hard to hook up. But it's just kind of making fun of Portland culture. But we live in a unique place. And, and, and I guess you can look at that. Some people say it's so dark and, it, you know, there's, it's so spiritually difficult here. I just think how much fun, more fun could it be? How much more fun could it be to minister in a place where there's just such a, a crazy mix of people that, you know, it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. So first thing I think if we want to be culturally, culturally relevant in our mission it's just to be conscious and aware of what the world around us is like. Um, spend some time. And as Paul did that, he, he wandered about Athens. He saw these idols. I'm sure he prayed and probably spent some time talking to people and some time listening to people. And uh, one of the things he did was look for common ground. He says, people of Athens, I see in every way you're very religious. And he actually commended them for their religion. And... Uh, I think if we want to be able to minister, to be connected, to be missional, to share our faith with people, uh, we, we need to be able to, like Paul, look for common ground. Um, sometimes it seems to me, maybe not always, but sometimes, Christians want to begin the process by pointing out everything that's wrong. 
They want to, they, they, they want to make it clear that they're right, you're wrong, and they want to point out everything that's different. And I appreciate Paul's willingness here to say, hey, I'm a, I'm a religious guy. I believe in God. And I see that you guys are religious people and you believe in God. Vineyards doing, uh, different vineyard churches are doing a lot of work and ministry in different Muslim countries right now. And even in this country, there are a lot of people uh, within the vineyard and, and outside that, that are learning how to engage in conversation uh, with those of different faiths, especially those of the Muslim faith. And, and I think a great way to start that conversation, rather than pointing out what's wrong, is to look for common ground and to say, hey, maybe there's some things we have in common. Can we start there and move forward from that point? Um, rather than be critical, judgmental, maybe even offensive from the get-go, and, 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 it, and really turn off at that point any ability to, to carry the conversation further, right? Um, do you guys know that among young people in our country today that Christianity has a little bit of an image problem? Did you know that? You laughed. Uh, I'm, reading a, I'm, I'm reading and watching a great book. How do you watch a, a book, you ask? Well, uh, this is called The Outsider Interviews by my, my good friend Todd Hunter and some other guys, and they call it a DVB, digital video book, and it comes with a DVD, and so you read a chapter, and they kind of give you their thoughts, and then you can watch the actual interviews that took place with people as they were writing the chapter. So it's kind of a fun little process to do. So, so anyway, their book is uh, interviewing uh, a group of young people in their 20s and 30s in different cities around the United States, some Christian, some not Christian, all different backgrounds, upbringings, different faiths, and just sort of asking them what they think about different topics. And it's incredibly interesting, but one of the things that you see very quickly is the experiences that many people have had in in their history, in their life, in church, have not all been good. They share some things that are, in fact, um, sad. They're hard to hear. They're they're difficult to, to, to even for me to listen to and to think that that happened to this person because they went to church. Todd's book is a follow-up, really, to another book called Unchristian by a guy named David Kinnaman, and, and he really just did some uh, research and uh, through, through interviews, Todd took it a step further in his book by actually uh, you know, meeting with people and talking to them rather than surveying. But uh, here's what Kinnaman, the conclusion he came to among 20 and 30-somethings in the United States today, the, these are the six top things that people believe to be true about Christians. They're anti-gay, hypocritical, judgmental, overly involved in politics, out of touch with reality, and insensitive. I don't know if those are fair or accurate descriptions or not, but they exist. That's what people think. That's what young people think about Christians today. And so... My thought is, if we want to be salt and light, if we, if, we, if we want to be missional in any way, if we have any intention or heart to have any kind of influence in the community and the culture that we live in, we need to be sensitive to that culture. We not only need to be aware of the culture, we need to look for common ground, but we also need to be sensitive and respectful of the culture around us. I, I really believe we need to try to overcome some of those stereotypes that people have 
developed in their own minds about what it means to be a Christian and really show respect to people that we engage and encounter in life and really have a willingness to spend some time listening and learning and getting to know who they are and their story, their history, uh, what, what happened in the course of their life. Um, and, and then as we do that, uh, Paul, I, I, and, and I, I didn't copy the text for you, but you can read it at the end of Acts 17. He does finally begin to share his faith with the people of Athens. And one of the things I noticed is that when he does, he stays pretty focused on Jesus. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about politics. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about this amendment or that amendment. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about social issues, about other things of the day. He really focuses on who Jesus is and what Jesus is about and what Jesus meant to him in his life. And I would encourage us to do the same. Sometimes you, you may have experienced this, and I was talking to somebody yesterday. You have a conversation with somebody, and they'll try to draw you into those conversations about politics and other things. And my, my encouragement is try to avoid that as much as possible. Stay focused on Jesus. It was interesting to me uh, watching the interviews that Todd did for his book because some of the same people that had been through difficult, uncomfortable, not great experiences in the church or with other Christians didn't seem to have any problem at all with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? People have been hurt. They've been, they think that Christians are this way, the church is that way. They kind of have some things built up. But nobody really seems to have much of a problem at all with Jesus. Here, 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 this was, as I listened, and at different times Todd or Jim Henderson would ask, well, you know, what do you think about Jesus? These are the worst things people said. The worst things people said were, I, I, he, he seemed like he was a very wise man. I think he was very good and loving. I, I think that, that, that Jesus was a really, really good teacher. Those are the worst things people said about him. Almost universally, people have a degree of, of admiration, respect for who Jesus is. And oftentimes, it's even more than that. In a Gallup survey not long ago, a whopping 84% of Americans who don't go to church indicated that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 84% of unchurched Americans believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That means while an overwhelming majority of unchurched people believe in the resurrection, they have no understanding how that affects their day-to-day lives. They don't see how Jesus is relevant to them. Man. How do we then make Jesus relevant? How do we communicate to people around us what it means to be a follower of Jesus? One way, I suppose, and this is also kind of, I mean, you guys got the whole thing with the kids tonight in two minutes, but I think we can show them. I, I think we can allow Christ to be real enough in our own lives that it illustrates to people around us who Jesus is, that we can carry his presence with us as we engage in conversation, that we can learn to really uh, look at someone with the eyes of Christ and say, I want to love this person the way that I believe Jesus loves them that we can communicate to them that we're, we're children of God and He created you and He loves you. He doesn't hate you. He's not against you. 
we can begin to share our faith in that way. Second Corinthians, Paul says, you're our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. I want you to receive this as, it, as though it were written to you, not to the Corinthians. Just think about this as though it was written to Portland Vineyard Church. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we carry that life with us and in us, and as we are conscious and respectful, aware of the culture around us, we also can be filled with the presence of God and reflect the glory and the grace and the love of Jesus to people every day. I want to read you one last quote, and we'll close with this. This is uh, actually from David Kinnaman, the author of Unchristian, the book that was the predecessor to Todd's book. And he says, the real question isn't about how we save the reputation of Christianity so that it looks good to everybody, but it's how can enough of us start to truly do the sacrificial things that Christ would do in a broken culture and in a world of broken and sinful people. And that really is the end game, isn't it? To learn how to live as Jesus would have us live. Why don't you guys stand up? We'll close with some prayer. I want to go back to um, what Larissa shared earlier at the end of worship and just uh, pray for those that might be feeling a little bit on the outs. Lord, let your spirit come and just rest upon us now. Would you begin by embracing us with your love before we can share that or do anything uh, to make you known to others? We, we really need to have you in our own hearts as well. So just come and touch us with your love tonight. Come and touch us with your love tonight. Just take a moment and try to Open your heart a little bit and receive from God. If it helps you, you can lift your hands up. that you gave your life on. We receive all that you've done for us tonight. We don't turn that gift away, but we embrace it tonight. We take, Lord, what you have to give. We receive the depth of commitment, love, value, restoration. led right now, you want to pray for somebody, I just want to release you to do that, you can go and just rest your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that this week that you would open the eyes of our hearts afresh one more time. Not only to see you in places that we might not normally see you, but to see your heart for others. That you would help us to lay aside the prejudices that we might carry. You would forgive us for the criticisms and the judgments we've made, and you would allow us to see people that are different from us with your eyes and with your love, that you would give us insight into the culture around us and you would allow us to be that aroma, the aroma of life, the aroma of Christ, to carry with us your very presence and to be your ambassadors, to speak words of truth and life. Go with us, Lord.